Thank you. Hey, good morning, you guys. That was just beautiful worship together, wasn't it? Ah, I needed that. Just times to kind of reset our focus and our perspective. Um, I am, I'm really excited to share with you guys this morning, but just to be fully transparent, it's been a rough go uh, from the time of giving the message last night into this morning, just kind of facing quite a bit of uh, opposition, I would say. And it's pretty close to my heart kind of opposition. So um, that's kind of an internal thing that's happening. But I also really believe that all part of, that's all part of God really does want to speak to our hearts this morning. And I sense that the enemy is just trying to do anything he can to, um, to try and oppose that and, and distract from that. Um, and so I am going to uh, present this and in some ways in weakness, but other ways with kind of a different level of boldness because I really believe that it's a word that God wants to deliver to our hearts today. Uh, we are talking through the Psalms this summer. We've been looking at just a, a variety of them, and pretty early on this week, the Psalm that I'm going to share this morning kind of came to my heart. It's one that most of us are probably familiar with, but we've heard it usually in the context of a funeral, and today I want to just bring this thing to life in a different way for us. I think there's application uh, on a really beautiful and deep level right now, um, and so I want us to, to grab a hold of that. So um, honestly, before we do that, I just need to pray, and, and then we'll dive into this thing. Yeah, God, we just, uh, we come into your presence this morning, and we're thankful. We're thankful that you're here, that you desire to meet with us, that you're a God who still speaks to us. So Lord, whatever we're coming into this place with, uh, we just, we do lay that at your feet. We're not trying to ignore it or pretend like it's not there, but we want to give it to you and allow you to speak into it and even to use it. And so God, would you come in this place and have your way? The people are here this morning to hear from you, not to hear from a person. That's right. So Lord, we want you to speak. Amen. Would you take this word and bring it to life? God, I Surrender all that I am to you, and I ask that you would use me to deliver a message that comes directly from your heart. Help us to receive it. Help us to hear it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to read through the whole chapter, and then we're going to take it kind of line by line and just really understand it, hopefully a little bit more than we did coming into this place. It's Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Really, the, the very first line is where we have to start and really kind of where we have to linger today, and that is the statement that the Lord is my shepherd. 
David is the author of this psalm. We talked about him a little bit last week, that he's, he's got a lot to him as a person, that he's a worship leader, and he's a poet and a writer, and he's also a warrior and a king, and you're gonna see a little bit more of that today. But part of what he did in his life, throughout his life, was that he was a shepherd. He knew what it meant to care for a flock, and in this, he's putting himself, actually, in the place of a sheep saying that the Lord is my shepherd. The main role of a shepherd is to lead and to protect the flock that's entrusted to him or her. So the question we have to start with and really we have to linger on all morning is who are you following? And that's a question that's easy to answer kind of as a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, But what I'm learning as I've studied this and as I've prayed through this are that there's areas in our lives where maybe we are fully following the Lord. But there's these other areas that we may not even be aware of, and he just isn't, he isn't fully in that role of shepherd in our hearts. My desire is that he would reveal those things to us today. Where are we not fully following him? There are other things that we follow. There are things like our thoughts and our opinions, what we think is right, what we think makes sense. Um, That's actually a stronghold according to scripture, the stronghold of our own reasoning. And we can get trapped there pretty easily. Another huge one for many of us are the approval of people. We chase down what they they think is best. I know that's, that's the case in my life. I like to think that I'm free of like the fear of man and yet there are seasons where I'm really uncomfortable doing something if I know that this key person in my life isn't fully on board with it. So then it comes down to whose approval is more important. Who, Who ultimately are you leading or are you letting lead your life? Is it yourself? Is it the approval of people? Is it things like money and success and reputation? Again, that kind of ties into what people think of you. But there are certain things in life that that sort of dictate our thoughts and our actions and our decisions. Another one that we're going to talk about here in a little bit are hurts from our past, wounds that we take on, um, especially in our childhood. No, no one in this place is above that or hasn't experienced that. You may just not fully know it yet. I know that was the case for me, and I'll share a little bit of that here in a minute, but um, I didn't know the amount of uh, wounds that I took on as a kid and then how many of those wounds were actually creating false truths for me that I was living out and following They had so much leadership in my heart and in my life and I truly didn't even know it until the Lord spoke into that. So the Lord is my shepherd, is what David was able to say. We just have to evaluate, can we say that in our lives in every area? John 10, in that chapter, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. We choose who we follow, but when we choose to follow that good shepherd, we lack nothing. Like David said, we lack nothing. Next, it says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul, and he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. This is what the good shepherd does. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, I, I think it's important for us to understand what David saw when he was writing this, what his context was for writing this. Because in America, when we think of the idea of green pastures, there are certain things that come to mind. 
And, and then we interpret the text according to kind of that picture that comes to mind. So when we think of a green pasture, we might think of something like this. Just lush greenery and um, quiet waters. It's real beautiful. It looks more like a golf course to me than a um, pasture, but maybe, it, maybe both. But that's kind of what we envision, right? Something beautiful and full of green. This is actually a photo of a green pasture from a biblical context. That's the sort of terrain that, that David would have led his sheep into. Um, and in the next one, you can kind of see there, there are sheep up on that ridge there, and that, that's what they would have done. They would have walked these sort of ridges. But you can't see a whole lot of green. Yet this is the area where a shepherd would bring sheep to graze. You can see that they're grazing, and they're not... They're not eating dirt, they're not eating rocks as, as much as it honestly kind of looks like that. Um, the next one is of a shepherd actually kind of with her flock um, in, this, in this region. So this is what David envisioned. So why do I tell you that? Why is that significant? Well, I want you to understand what green actually looks like for him. This green um, that we talk about, it comes from a very small amount of, of water, and there's two ways that they get it. One is, is just off the Mediterranean Sea, kind of a mist that fills the air at nighttime, but it's not a downpour by any means. And then there is a small, a very small amount of rain that they get each year, but that is the amount of water that they receive. So zoomed in on this terrain, you can see what actual greenery looks like for them. There's sprouts of it, but you can't even see it if you're, if you're not looking close enough. The green, it grows in the midst of hard places. It's in hard soil between hard rocks. This green pasture is enough to satisfy the sheep for just one day at a time. It's not that first picture where they could stay there and graze for a whole day and be full for a week. The picture is it's just enough for today. The other part of this idea is that the sheep, because it's so scarce almost, the sheep are not able to find the green pastures without their shepherd. They depend entirely on their shepherd to lead them to the green pasture. And that is what David is saying. You lead me into green pastures. You make me lie down in these green pastures. He knows that as a shepherd, the sheep aren't capable of finding that on their own, that there's total dependency on their shepherd. It requires a continual dependency on our shepherd to lead us into the green pastures and then to trust his provision will be there, which can be really hard when all you see is, is that dry, dirt, wilderness land. It's really easy to let worry and anxiety consume you because you can't see the green. You can't see the provision of God. But as you lean into him as your shepherd, as you let him lead you, he'll take you exactly to where the provision is even though we'd prefer it to be full of green where we can see it. Honestly, that's just a lack of trust in him to take you where you need to be, to provide for you in the way that you need it. Animals that lie down, that he makes me lie down in green pastures, they have a sense of contentment and security. Do we have that in God? That we're content in the provision that he's given us. Or are we discontent and we're always looking for more from him? That what he, give, what he gave is not enough? Do we feel a sense of security in him? That even if we don't know what next year looks like or next week looks like or what this relationship is going to look like, do we have security in him that he's working on our behalf? 
That's indicators of whether or not you're following him wholeheartedly. He leads me beside quiet waters. The picture here is of quiet and gentle waters, which are opposed to great rivers, which both frighten sheep with their noise and expose them to the danger of being carried away by swift currents. This is the way that God leads. He's gentle, even quiet. That's still small voice. But he also provides a peace, and that, that's part of the imagery. When they wrote in the Bible, there's, they're coming from a culture of imagery where they like to paint a picture rather than give a definition. And so sometimes we have to look into the picture. What do we see when we think of quiet waters? There's a sense of peace there where you can rest there. That's what the good shepherd does. He leads you into places of rest, into places of peace. When we're running things, oftentimes our life just feels chaotic, nonstop, going as hard as we can. But when we submit to, to the Lord as our shepherd, it's, there's peace in it, there's rest in it, there's quietness in it. It's also um, showing God as, as a source of living water in our lives that it's, it's ever moving, it's not stagnant, that there's life in it, but we have to be willing to rest in that, to sit in that space long enough to receive it. Right. He refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. A more literal translation of this would be that he restores my soul. That's what the original word actually means, is restores my soul. And our souls, if, if we're being honest, they just take a beating on this side of heaven. Every one of us in this room, that, that's the, the truth for us. We've all walked through some things that, that have beat us up in this life. And what happens in those moments where, where wounds are introduced to us, uh, there's oftentimes a lie that the enemy wants to introduce. And I wanna be very clear in, in stating that it is a lie that there is no truth in the devil. So when he speaks something, all he knows how to do is lie. But he's also very strategic. He's, he's very good at, at waiting for the right opportunity to come in and introduce a lie to us. And he could care less how young you are. In fact, sometimes for him, it's more strategic to introduce it to you at a young age. And then what he does is he reinforces the lie throughout your life. That's how strategic he is. So that by the time you're, for me, in my 30s, it's hard to not believe that lie because I've seen it over and over and over in my life. It's been reinforced. So it's hard not to believe it. The challenging part uh, for me, even coming into this weekend, was that I want to lean into vulnerability. I want to share with you my story. But for every person in this room, your story involves other people. It's not just your story, is it? And in that space, you want to honor people that are in your story. For me, they're people I love. They're people that I have close relationship with. But it's very hard for me to tell my story and not include them in any way. So I'm just gonna share a tiny bit, but know that my, my heart in this is to honor those that I talk about. Um, I want you to know that, that my parents are incredible people. Uh, I love them, I'm close with them both. Um, God has done a work of reconciliation and restoration in those relationships. And to me, that's why it's beautiful to share it because you need to hear that God can do that. 
that he can take something that was broken, I mean broken, and he can turn it into something beautiful. But if all I share with you is the beautiful and I don't bring you into the brokenness, then you don't get to see the transformation that can only come from God. So understand this, that I want to be fully respectful as I share this, but um, I also want to share with you a little bit of my story. When I was nine years old, my parents uh, went through divorce, which is pretty common. I know a lot of you probably uh, have went through that. And some of you guys are in a boat of your parents were divorced and you received some wounds from that. Some of you walked through divorce yourself and there's a lot of shame sometimes that's undealt with. Like if you walked through divorce, you feel like you don't have the right to feel hurt. You don't have the right to, um, to say that this is painful because, because there's so much shame and guilt on it. And I think in this place this morning that God may wanna just let you say it's okay to hurt. It's okay that you have some shame and some guilt that goes along with that. It's okay to let God breathe healing into you. You're so focused on how it affected those around you that you ignored how it affected you yourself. He cares about you. He cares about every person that's involved. For me, in this part of the story of divorce, I was a child that was kind of on like the receiving end of it. And as a child, you have a very limited understanding. You have a very limited perception of how things are going, and I get that. And as an adult, I've learned other perspectives. I've learned some other pieces to the story. What I'm trying to share with you today is just how it affected the nine-year-old version of Sarah, the wound that she received, and the message that came with that wound. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm not saying that my perception was the entire picture or was the full reality, but it was the reality for me. And so because it was that reality, it carried a wound with it. When I was nine and they got a divorce, um, some things shifted quite quickly and my mom moved an hour away. Her intention was not to leave us. She thought that we would go with her, but that didn't happen. Um, I didn't really understand all the shifting and moving parts. My life had been pretty much turned upside down at that point, so you're just, you're just kinda trying to hang on. You're not really taking everything into account that's going on around you. You're just kind of trying to survive. But the enemy saw a window there. He saw an opportunity there to introduce a lie. So what he introduced to me in that season, God revealed to me years later, honestly, not really until I had a daughter of my own did he take me through this journey of the hurt that was pretty deeply lodged in my heart. But the message that I received as a nine-year-old was that I was not enough to keep my mom around. It wasn't the truth. My mom loved me, she wanted me with her, but all I knew as a nine-year-old was that my mom used to be here, she's not here anymore, and she doesn't seem to be coming back. So this idea of you're not enough to even keep your own mom, who was by far the closest person in my life, that started to shape and mold me as a person. I wanted to be the absolute best person at whatever I was doing, the best student in the classroom, the best athlete on the team, um, whatever it was needed, the funniest person in the room. Um, whatever I thought would, would cause me to be enough is what I chased after. There was so much striving in that. I was talking to my brother last night and he said, I remember that when you were in high school and you would get home from um, like a four hour basketball practice and you would go out and run for like six miles after that. 
And I think there was a lot going on in me that was, that was like almost a form of therapy, but it was also really unhealthy. It was this driving force in my life that I could never, I could never quite be enough or do enough. Until, until I was in my 30s and God started to bring healing into that place. He began to speak to me about, Sarah, you're enough for me that I created you and I love you and I see every hair on your head. I watch you every time you sit down, every time you stand up. You are so important to me. And there's nothing you could do or not do to earn that love, Sarah. You just are loved. And it, it took some time to really unlearn the idea of wanting to prove myself to everybody around me. But as I continued in that space, I did find healing I did find healing in those wounds. A translation of the whole phrase there in the literal um, language, in the original language, it says that he causes my life to return to me. And man, that's what I've experienced. Like God is so, he, he's there with us every step of our life. So even those seasons where they're pretty blurry to us because there's so much hurt there, at least that's kind of how my mind copes is I just try to forget most of the details. God doesn't forget them. So he can take you back into those spaces and he can expose where the lie is and then he can correct it with the truth. That, that's who he is and what he desires to do, that he restores my soul. That's what David said. And I, I also say that. He restored my soul. He is restoring my soul and he wants to do that for you. He'll speak truth into the lies that you've believed and he'll bring healing into the wounds that you've been carrying but you gotta sit with him by those quiet waters. You gotta sit with him. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. So God leads us to the right paths. It's a path that always leads to God himself. So if you're not sure what's right, sometimes there's a lot of things that seem right to us. His path will always lead you closer to him. So if it pulls you further away from him, if it somehow distracts you from him, I would, I would dare to say it's probably not him that's leading you. Why, why does he do it? He said he, he does it for his namesake. He leads you and directs you along the right paths for his namesake. Right. See, how we live has a direct, a direct impact on the reputation of God. Amen. Man, that is significant that he even would allow that to be the case, but that is the reality, that the way you represent God to people is how they experience God. So if you're loving or judgmental, if you're full of grace or you have zero truth whatsoever, you have to find the balance of representing God in a good way. And the decisions and choices that we make, other people are looking at and watching. And when we make decisions that move us away from God, they're watching that. It's all for his namesake. What you do can lead and direct people to the Lord, or I believe it can push them away. Man, let's choose to do things that give him a good reputation. It's like being in a family where either you make that family name stronger or you make it a little bit weaker. Let's make it stronger. Let's try our best to represent Jesus and all that he is, the truth and the grace of Jesus to those around us. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, it can be translated also as the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. This picture is of total darkness. It's, it's to the point where, the, again, the sheep aren't capable of leading themselves. It's too dark. They wouldn't know where to go. And I was talking to my husband, Trinity, about this message um, a few days ago, and he said, that reminds me of a time that we went, I, th- I don't, I think we went camping, like, up north, and I was, you know, 19 years old or 20, and just didn't think about a lot of things, which is not a great place to be, but that's where I was. And so we... Um, we went and found this like beautiful um, spot way up north to where there was like there was bear there bears bear I don't know there was more than one and um, <laughs> and cougars and things like that and so we're in the woods and we find this like really beautiful landing spot where you can see the water and we're just spending time there with another couple that we're real close with and just taking it in. It was this beautiful time. And then we realized, like, we should go. The sun's about to set. But we had a couple mile walk back to our car. Um, and I, it must have been before the day of, like, phones, I think, or we just left him. No, no one had a phone on them. Um, and I told this story last night, and afterwards he was like, babe, it wasn't. I said he had a flashlight. He's like, we didn't have a flashlight. We brought a lighter to start a fire, and that's all that we had. So he had this lighter and we were walking back into the woods and then once you kind of got under the canopy of the trees, it just went completely dark. Um, and eventually it was, it was the darkest thing I'd ever experienced and that's what he said, it's just so dark. And what we did was the Trinity took this lighter and lit it and to the point where he told me, he's like, I had a burn on my thumb by the end. You see, he's so dedicated, which is so cool. And he um, led us and then we just like linked up. We like held hands or linked arms or something. And we followed Trinity's lead. We, we didn't know where we were headed. We didn't know if there were trees around us. Like we had to just depend that he was gonna get us where we needed to go. And that, that's kind of the image here that you see is the, sh- the sheep can't see around them. It's that kind of a dark valley. And again, this would have been a literal thing for David that there was literally these valleys of darkness, um, this valley of the shadow of death. They were narrow places where there was no way of escape. Um, so what predators would do in that is they would sit around the corner and wait for this herd to come, and then they would attack when they're most vulnerable, when they're not expecting it. There's no way of escape. They can't see them coming. So the sheep completely depended on the shepherd to protect them and even fight off the enemy, to fight off predators. The valley of the shadow of death, there really was um, a risk of death involved in this valley. And again, David knew that, and he was also writing this at a time where he was being pursued for his life, that people were coming after him and wanted to kill him. And he was able to say that even in this valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me, God. It's just such a beautiful picture of a a shepherd and his sheep and our God and his children. I mean, I can't help but think about the ministry of hospice that I get to be a part of as I read this passage um, and I think the, the main thing that, that I'll share as it relates to that is um, I was trying to think through how many people that I've, in the past um, two years or so, how many people that I've walked through this process of dying with. And I, I think I calculated like over 100 people that I've walked through the process of death with. Um, and what I've seen in that experience is that there are, very, there are very different ways that people feel as they're approaching death. 
And I think in that I'll just talk about Christians for a moment because, because if you don't know Jesus at all, that's kind of a whole different lane. But if you do know him, there's, there's two ways that, t- that typically people approach it. One is very beautiful. It's very full of peace. And it is like a deep level peace where either it's real for you or, or it's not. And it's so deeply real for people that they know the shepherd that has led them in their life and the one that will continue to lead them across that finish line. And it is an unshakable kind of peace um, that I just love to listen to and hear and pull out of people and just sit with them in that. The other, the other side of that, though, is, um, is complete and total fear. Uh, just feeling like they haven't done enough to earn their way in to heaven, and that's really a hard um, way of thinking to undo Uh, in somebody's life who's believed that for a long time. But the ones that know, like I mean know their shepherd, there's a peace to it. There's not a fear to it, but a peace. And you can see it very obviously when you're sitting with people in that space. And that's what I desire. Not that we have to wait till our deathbed to experience that peace, but that we would have it now because of the one who's with us, that he's leading us. There's no reason to fear. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Two instruments that are described in this passage. A staff is a unique instrument and it's used totally for the care and the management of sheep and only sheep. It represents concern and compassion that a shepherd has for his sheep. So a staff is the one that has um, like a hook to it that you've probably seen and the main thing that that was used for is to grab a sheep as it's drifting from the flock and to pull it back in. Again, David used this analogy intentionally. The rod, it conveys the concept of authority, power, discipline, and even the defense of the sheep. It it was used to fight off predators, so it wasn't a hook. It was oftentimes a a shorter, more like a club sort of instrument that he would use um, to fight off predators. Both the discipline and the protection of God should give comfort to us. He disciplines those that he loves and those that he calls his own. He is your defender and your protector. He does fight for you. One thing that just stood out to me this week as I was thinking through this is um, the past couple years have really taken a toll on the flock of God. I think it's caused a lot of us to, um, even if we're like still here and somewhat a part of a flock, it's caused us to take a, a couple steps out and I'm just not sure about this anymore. I'm not sure of some of the stuff I've seen from um, whether it's just people in the church or pastors that you've known. Church hurt, man, I am not, I'm not um, new to that idea. I've experienced lots of that myself and what the enemy does in that is he just, he just causes you to remove yourself. Just step back. You can't trust this, this flock, so just step back. But the, the reality is, is that there's protection in the flock. Amen. That's why the shepherd was so intentional to bring them back in, to not let them drift away, because he knew that's where the safety is. It's not that the flock is perfect. It's not that the flock doesn't make mistakes or bite each other sometimes, but there is safety in it. The moment that we begin to drift away from it, we become so much more vulnerable to attack from the enemy. There are predators. We have an enemy. He is strategic. And as you stay in the flock, man, there's so much more safety there. 
when you can talk to those around you about what you're going through instead of fighting things all on your own and come back into the flock. That's where, that's where the safety is. Check out this example of David uh, as a shepherd and the way that he would have represented a defender for his flock. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. I mean, let's just take a moment and realize how baller David is. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a beast of a man, while at the same time so tender to the heart of God. But he also is giving us a picture of what it means to have a shepherd. That a shepherd not only leads and guides, but he protects you. He defends you against real enemies. A lion and a bear is, is, there's no match in a sheep's world for that, right? They're going to be defeated. But with the right shepherd, they'll be protected. I love that it says like he ripped them out of their mouths. That is our God. He goes after the one who got away. He doesn't just say that's a lost cause. He's like, oh, I'm coming for that one. I'm gonna rip it out of your mouth and bring it back into the flock. Amen. That is our God. That's who he is. As the sheep stay in the flock and close to their shepherd, they're protected and there is no need to fear. I will fear no evil for you are with me, God. What role does fear play in your life? How much power does it hold for you? Do you trust that God is leading you and that he will protect you? Not that attacks won't come, but that he'll be there to defend you and to protect you. Man, fear, fear can be an influence that ultimately makes our decisions. It can be the shepherd of our life if we let it. It'll keep you from doing things. It'll cause you to do things that aren't even you. It's a powerful force if it's left unchecked. We have to speak to it. We have to correct it. There's no truth in it. It's just, it's just driven by lies. So recognize it in your heart. Ask God to show it to you and then correct it. Don't give in to it. Don't be led by it. Because you'll be led by one of two things, right? Either the Lord or something else. And fear, fear will only lead you to places of ruin. There's no life there. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. At the end of this psalm, the imagery switches from a shepherd and his flock to more of a table and a banquet and a feast. But there's a theme here of provision and even protection as he continues, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's how God works. He doesn't prepare a table over here and our enemies are over there. He says, let's actually go right into the middle of the attack. Let's find the enemies, set up a table right there and show them what I'm capable of. Amen. Let's put my power and my glory on display right in the middle of your enemies, all for his namesake, all for his glory. And as I was thinking through this and praying about this, I'm like, you know what's real beautiful in that? 
is that as God does that, as he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies, they can't help but see what God has done. They see, they look into that and see the provision of God, the way that he's healed your heart, healed your home, healed your marriage. And even if they wouldn't have wanted that for you, they can't deny that it's real. And then the hope is that they would actually see that and be drawn into the Lord for themselves. Man, if we can't want that for our enemies, then we don't see them correctly. We have to want them to be just as restored and healed as we are. Let God use you in the lives of your enemies. Let him use you to put his glory, his power, and his love on display. It's a powerful place to be when you let him do that. You anoint my head with oil, he says. I think it's important for us to understand uh, the, the word anoint or what it means to be anointed. You might hear that term thrown around a lot in church but just not really know what it means. And anointing is this idea of being consecrated or set apart. It was used in royalty and kings. They would be anointed with oil for this position or this role of king. And God does that in the church today. He anoints people for the sake of his kingdom. He anoints them. It's this idea of his favor, his power coming down and resting on a person. And it's always for the benefit of the flock. It's never for the benefit of that person to, to look good or any, anything like that. It's for the benefit of those in the flock that strongholds would be broken the transformation would happen, that healing would come. It's, it's different than a gifting. Man, you can have tons of gifted people in a church with zero transformation. But when you have an anointing, man, that's where change comes. We need anointed people. And we're anointed for all kinds of things. This stage is not the only place for anointing. Man, we need people walking in their anointings in their life every day and letting people benefit from that. The thing with anointing is that it sounds really good and everyone wants to kind of sign up for it, but oil, this idea of oil and anointing, where that comes from is, is literal crushing. It's an olive that would be crushed and then an oil would drip out of that place. That is the same for our lives. It is crushing that produces anointing. Like I can look at my life and I can see giftings that have been there, but the power that's on those giftings, there is a night and day difference before and after seasons of crushing. Because you come out of crushing and you are, the, yourself has been spent. It's been poured out. Like there's nothing left of you. But you've learned things about God in that season of crushing that you wouldn't have learned other ways. You learn how close he is to the brokenhearted. You learn that he is a provider when there's no way to provide for yourself. You learn that he's a healer. Yeah. And had you not gone through the crushing, you wouldn't know those things deeply in the pit of your stomach. You wouldn't know them the same way. We have to be willing to endure crushing if we want the anointing that comes. We need to be anointed for the sake of his kingdom. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. This idea of what God is doing in you, it goes up and over and pours out to those around you. And that's why it's worth it. It's not just for your sake, it's for the sake of those around you, for the generations that come after you. Man, let your cup overflow. Surely your goodness and love will follow me 
all the days of my life. So God goes ahead of you and prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies, but then he also comes behind you with his goodness and his love. You're never alone in this. He goes ahead of you in preparation, and then he comes behind you to give you all that you need to stay in that place, to stay in that season. His love and his goodness are with you. Man, they're not gonna leave you, no matter how crushing the season is that you're in now, or have been in, his goodness and his love was with you then and it's with you now. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We talked about the idea of dwelling last week and it's this idea of remaining, sitting with God, being with God each day, that this isn't the only space that you come into and, and set your heart on God and fix your gaze on God, but that every day when you wake up, that you would say, my life is yours, God. Help me be more aware of your presence today. Help me see you working in my life and in the lives of those around me. Do you dwell in the presence of God? Or is it a momentary thing that you come in and come out of? Life is so much better when we dwell in the presence of God. Let's be a church that dwells. Let's be a church that remains. That's how our cup is gonna overflow for those around us. So again, The question today is, who are you following? Who are you following? There's a few ways uh, that we can know if we need to realign that shepherd in our life as we close here today. Do you struggle finding contentment? Like you're always striving for more, to be more, to have more, never content in the place that you're in, but you're always looking for what's next, what's ahead, what's the next big thing. There's no contentment. That green pasture for today isn't quite enough. You want the full layout and and it's just never what you think it's gonna be once you finally get there so then the whole cycle starts over. Contentment. Contentment comes when we're following him as our shepherd. Do you lack peace in your life? Man, do you lack peace in your life? That idea of that quiet water that fills you with a sense of peace and rest, do you have that? If you don't, then there may be some areas you need to surrender to him and let him fill you with the peace. Jesus said, I, I give you this gift of peace and it is a gift that not only, I am the only one that can provide, the world itself does not offer this kind of peace. It's a, a heavenly level of peace that he has for you. It's a gift he left for us, but we have to be willing to open it and walk in that gift. Does fear grip your mind and your decisions? Man, just reflect on that a little bit this week. God, where, where is it that fear is having a voice in my mind, in my decisions? David said, I will fear no evil, right? That's the confidence that we can have when we follow him as our shepherd. Lastly, do you feel like you're fighting your own battles? That you have to figure out the solutions, that you have to figure out the next move? And there are times where God will lead you to do things for sure, but do you ultimately trust that he is fighting for you? That he sees your enemies better than you see them? And that he stands in the gap, that he fights for you? It doesn't mean attacks aren't there. It doesn't mean that they're not real. But he's with you. He's fighting for you. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The truth is, is that we get to decide who we follow. He gave us that choice. When you choose to follow Jesus as your shepherd, there's provision, protection, goodness, and love. He wants to lead you along the path 
that is best for your life. Will you let him do that? Will you let him do that? I'm gonna pray for you today. God, we thank you for your word, that it is alive and that it speaks to our hearts today, even though it was written thousands of years ago. God, we thank you that you desire to be our shepherd, the one that leads and guides us, the one that protects us protects us and fights off attacks from the enemy. God, we thank you that that's who you are. You are so good that you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And I just pray for those right now who are in that season where there, it feels like enemy attack is all over and they just can't avoid it. It's one thing after another. Would you help them to see that you've prepared a table? That you invite them into that table to come and sit with you and rest with you, be fed by you, God, we receive your peace today, your rest today. We choose no longer to listen to the voice of fear, but instead we submit our thoughts to you. You are the good shepherd. You're the one we want to be led by. So have your way in our lives, God. Even if it's through valleys and, and deep places of darkness, God, we know that you'll be there and that you have been there and you'll continue to be. So we trust you. And we surrender all that we are to you. God, have your way in our lives. We worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.